It's a daily talk show episode 388. And for the sixth, seventh? Sixth. Sixth time we've got Craig Harper back on the show. Wow, 3D deals all over it. Mate, he is. How are you going, buddy? See the keeper of records. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I just want to first launch into, you know how, I, I mean, I, I, I was going to say, you know how mm. I, but then I was like, you're not there when I'm introducing or trying to give context to you as a person mm. when I talk about you to other people. So you're not there. The way I, the way, the, the, the way good, I tell good, people good about who you are right. is, I say, uh, mm. Craig Harper. He started the first personal training studio in Australia, mm. and that's what I lead with because mm. I like. I think it has I, cut through. It has real cut through. Mm. I think we've got that, which I want you to use when you're talking about myself or Josh when you're telling other people about but, us. But we, fit what the, are you pioneers with? What? Well, this is the difference. I think that you're. <laughs> You're in the lucky position that you fucking, I mean, not lucky position, you started a while ago. Right. I'm and, old. And so, yeah. yeah, potentially. <laughs> old, you I'm could look at it like fucking that. Fucking dinosaur, but yeah, <laughs> carry on. And so you you uh, you did shit ages ago, which you can now talk about and say, correct. hey, I did this shit ages ago. Yes. And it has more cut through. Y- correct. Whereas like a year and a half into the podcast, mm. we're mm. thinking mm. Uh, of those headlines that we can use. Mm. And so what we were settling on was... The first daily podcast and video talk show mm. in Australia. Oh, yeah, that in is Australia. good. That is true. So we've just gone seven days. We're into our um, second week. What happens on the weekends? Oh, like, mate. What, you, weekend don't, you don't literally do stuff live on the weekends. No, oh, we, I'm divorced, didn't I tell you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bodie doesn't love me. Really? Uh, no, we, uh, we pre-record uh, for the weekend, mm. but seven days a week. But the weekend gave us a chance to – we started to feel like we had the pressure – of delivering a certain type of show Monday mm. to Friday, mm. whereas weekends we can be loose. There's mm. there's no expectation, so we can try different things. We can mm. talk about shit that's maybe feels a little bit more in. It's mm. a little bit sort of like we bring we brought in our partners the other day, mm. shit like that. Um, uh, you know what I think's beautiful about this um, whole format and process and evolution of communication and connection and media is that. There's no rules. Mm. It's just like, well, what do you want to do? Let's do that. I love, I love playing in spaces where there's no rules. I hate rules, to be yeah. honest. Well, we normally have a rule that you wear headphones. Yeah. You've decided to go against it. But can I say... <laughs> Fuck your headphones. For, for, some, for someone who... Normally when someone says, I don't need headphones, I don't want headphones, they've normally back it up with the shit mic technique. But I've got mm. to say, yeah. you sound... I know you can't hear it, but you sound amazing Well, right thank now. you. I do my very... I've done... I've been in front of a mic a few times. <laughs> but... You know, it is it is true that you can, you know, try weekends or try this or longer or shorter or you were asking me when we went and got mm-hmm. a coffee why are you doing three a week because yeah. I was doing one and and then I started doing two ep- uh, two episodes of uh, The You Project. Um, see how I did that. <laughs> uh, b- but it's you go, well, what's going to resonate with people and what will – for me I needed to be all in or not in, Yeah, you know, and so especially doing a um, – a format which is largely around personal growth and, you know, behavioural psychology and doing thinking and producing better, people need to know what to expect and because we're doing three days a week, it's, you know, it's it seems to be uh, having greater impact, audience is growing, recognition mm. is growing, brand awareness is growing and we're doing good shit, mm. most how, importantly. How do you fit into people's lives? That's how, you, you know, your programming <clears throat> is <clears throat> a, along with someone's gym routine. <clears throat> it's along <clears throat> with someone's drive to work routine. Yeah. When you were, when you, I mean, retrospectively, 
you can look at, oh, I started the first personal training studio. Were you thinking that when you did it? Were you actually leading with that? Or have we jumped the gun with how we want to market ourselves? Should we be doing this, like Josh said, in 10 years? No, I look, I think that what you are doing is you are pioneers. But what I, you know, you, you one of you were saying to me when, when we went and got a coffee that you don't have the same um, talent on board as some people do. And that doesn't mean talent, what normal people think of talent, but as in profile. Mm. But what you're doing is, and you've both got your own profile and your own following in your own way, but what you're doing is building it's this- It's a criminal record. <laughs> you're building this protocol and this operating system and this community at a really maintainable, nice linear progression. Mm. And I, I honestly think that this is the most underrated thing in, in media because your conversations are great. You guys are talented and I'm not pissing in your pocket because I would just say nothing. You guys are talented- <laughs> These guys are fuckwits, but you, you guys are. No, they're both good. It's, actually, no, it's good actually, having a team because then you can sort of punch around. No, but that, I mean, here's the thing. So obviously people can't see 3D Dill or yeah. Mr. 97. Mr. 97. Um, but there is a team and there is a culture and this is kind of, for me, this is better than a lot of studios, mm. uh, radio studios, commercial studios that I've been in. Mm. You know, and so you're building something which is great so that it's solid so that once you do get to that <clears throat> tipping point where it goes crazy, you've already got the infrastructure, the experience, the miles on the board um, where you're going to be able to manage that well and optimise mm -hmm. that, you know. And that's, you know, it's it's all, nothing's, it's never, like we've never been in a time or a culture or a, an environment where things are... Um, progressing at the rate they are now. And and a big part of that is technology, but, you know, in everything from medicine to media, mm. you know, everything's expanding, everything's evolving, everything's dynamic. And if you're a fucking dinosaur, you're going to get left behind. Do you think that that's why people don't like the linear path? Because they're seeing all these things popping, like the technologies and stuff like that. Do you think that maybe that feeds into everyone wanting to have a successful podcast after a year? Maybe, but as you and I also, we probably should have had the coffee conversation <laughs> on air, but I'll bring it to air now, is that what episode is this for you? Three, 388. You know, 388. And you would have done at least 100 of those where there was fucking four people and a canary watching, right? Mm, yeah. But relatively. Mm. Um, generous, canary wasn't generous, even there. Yeah. Generously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it just, so you are now heading towards 400 shows and just now you're starting to get real momentum. Yeah. And you've got this beautiful facility with amazing high-end equipment and this great team. But that's what you have to do. Like everyone loves the idea of having a successful podcast because it's fucking sexy. Mm -hmm. And as I said to you, when I started doing whiteboard lessons, it kind of in a small way, but it blew up. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, wow, I'm going to do my own. Fucking I'll do that. So a bunch of people started doing whiteboard lessons and putting their name in the corner like I did. Mm. Well, they lasted, the longest anyone lasted was a couple of months because it's just a grind and it's work mm. and they didn't get the response I got and then they went, fuck it. Yeah. And I've done four years, three and a half thousand whiteboards and I keep doing new whiteboards every day because there's an element of success and growth and fulfilling one's potential and exploring possibilities and creating your thing, which is really not sexy. Mm -hmm. It's just about, you know, I hate the term grinding, but it is about doing the work when mm -hmm. it's not always instant or fun. Um, you've been talking to people about success and mm. creating su success in their lives for 
you know, a long time. Years, yeah, hundred yeah, years. As Jesus was around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was he like anyway? <laughs> Look, he was good. Um, <laughs> Patient, loving, yeah. you know. Hair long, was that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was the 13th apostle. <laughs> I missed the cut. Um, do you think people's, uh, where they're looking to as success has changed from social media? So I think, you know, um, information, the accessibility, the information being so accessible now is a blessing, but it's also uh, bringing up, all these other ways and metrics of success. Yes. Do you think it's shifted from 20 years ago when you were talking to people about success? Yes. To now when there's all these things that are new and uncharted yeah. waters like well, media. Yeah. You know? What were the success metrics? If you were just a, if you were a business owner, hmm. what were the things that people were flexing back then? What were they, how would you show off? As yeah, a social media person? wasn't a conversation yeah. back then, right? Mm -hmm. So but, success is a really interesting, I mean, we could do two hours on success, but success is there's the idea of success. There's the science of success. There's the metrics of success. So obviously on a podcast, you would go, well, we've gone from 5,000 listeners to 10,000 listeners. It's hundred percent growth. That's mm -hmm. fucking amazing. That's, you know, yeah. or it might be, I've only got 200 listeners, but fuck, I love it. You're successful, yeah, yeah. you know. So there's the there's the kind of the personal interpretation, um, and I won't bore you with my stories, but you know that you know I got to the point where I had five businesses and I was making heaps of money, and from the outside looking in, my life was shiny and I was successful, but in the middle of that life, the the internal reality was not that I loved it, and it wasn't that anything was bad or, mm. and I was very fortunate to be in the position that I was in. But there's a difference between the external reality or appearance of the car, the house, the money, the brand, the the representation of success and one's experience in the middle of that. So I think back in the day, success was very much um, a, a metric of stuff or stuff was the metric. What do you have? What do you own? What do you earn? What do you look like? What are you doing? What, was what do people you? think of you? For me, it was very much about living up to my parents' expectation and the expectations of others because you grow up in a, well, I grew up in a mindset that said that success is this stuff. Mm. And you believe that because it's like I grew up in the Catholic church well, we're going to heaven, no one else is. Mm -hmm. Like these are not suggestions. This is subconscious and conscious programming of a certain way of thinking. And so whether or not you're talking about getting to heaven or whether or not you're talking about um, how to connect with humans or whether or not you're talking about what is success, it's ultimately all about how we think, mm. you know. And so for me, uh, success is contentment and calm and living without trying to sound too cheesy living in alignment with my values. What's the, what's the craziest thing that you ever did purely out of a way of demonstrating success? Oh, you know, I, I was never really a show off, but I bought lots of expensive cars that mm. I didn't need. Yeah. Um, but I, that was more because I liked, I, I would buy cars and then not tell people. Mm. I wouldn't drive them around. Because I didn't want people to think I was a, I was a dickhead. But you but like cars. You like cars, though. I, I love you. cars. You yeah, like yeah, cars. Yeah. You like motorbikes. It's, this but is... I just wasted lots of money. Okay. But I, I was never really um, – because I always had – even when I was successful in inverted commas or when I'd reached a level that we might call successful, uh, I still felt insecure and fraudulent. Mm -hmm. I still felt like a phony. What was the pacifier then? When did you – could you actually – 
fix that temporarily through ex- external things. Like st- uh, today, Sorry, people yeah. people stand in front of a sold sign yes. of a house that sometimes they can't afford yeah. to show people, yeah. "Hey, I've, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm living the dream. I've yeah, bought the yeah, house." Yeah. What, what in, um, in 1995? What mm. is? I'm just curious as to what what that actually was. Oh, uh, for me, I guess going from you know going from the fat kid in Latrobe Valley, literally. The fat kid literally picked last for every sporting team who they had shit up. self-esteem, who <laughs> all that, right, to owning a company with employees. Mm. Even when it was three, I'm like, fuck, I own a company. Mm. I can, I own a company. And pe- people go, boss. I'm like, yeah. fuck. You know, so that things like that where I owned a company, I built, I ended up employing 500 people. I had multiple businesses, multiple venues. I had a personal assistant. I'm like, fuck, mm. whoever thought I'd have a, you know, things mm. like that, which um, there's a bit of ego in that. But th- more than that, it was just for me a sense of accomplishment and doing something that I never thought I could do. Mm. And this seems, you know, because things only have the meaning that you give them. So I always thought I was not that clever. Mm. I always thought I was, um, not particularly gifted or talented, not particularly attractive, not particularly anything, you know, average. I didn't hate myself, but I thought I'm not in any way on any level special. And so when I went to university at 36, right, that was my first time going to university and I went and did a degree in exercise science um, and I thought that I was academically stupid. Mm -hmm. So for me to go there in that space where for the first semester I was literally double everyone's age, everyone's 18, I'm 36. I don't know how to use a computer. I don't know how to write academically. I don't even know how to use the language that Mm -hmm. they use at university. It's like I was in Germany Mm -hmm. Then I didn't, and everyone, we're all humans, but everyone except me speaks fucking German. And I should just say German, not fucking German. Um, (laughs) But it, it, for me, that that sense of facing my fear and being putting myself in an uncomfortable situation that I didn't need to be in, but I chose to be in, um, for me that was a real KPI of success. Mm. I love Tony Doherty uh, saying on your podcast, "Prove you're not trying to prove others wrong. You're trying to prove you're going to prove yourself right." Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. And so, in terms of you starting these businesses, was that to Prove others wrong? Did you think that others looked at you mm-hmm. like you couldn't do that? 100% no. I am inherently lazy at doing shit I don't like. Mm-hmm. Like I do not like working for people. Mm-hmm. Um, when and was I, the last time you did 26. Work? I was yeah. 26, my last job. What was it? Uh, it was working in a gym as mm-hmm. an employee. And my boss was a good dude and it was a good gym. Mm-hmm. But the one in Hampton? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Trackside. Mike. G'day, Mike. Shout out. He was a good dude. Um, but I... You know, not everyone is destined to have their own business or do their own thing, and some people are. And there are there are there are benefits to being an employee too. Mm. So I'm not saying being an employee is bad or good, or owning your own business is bad or good. I'm saying we need to figure out what works for us. And so for me, I love the freedom and the flexibility and the possibility that came with going. I'm going to do my own thing. So if I go no good, it's my fault. If I go great, it's my mm. fault. Um, and I can always go back and fucking count reps and work on the gym floor if I really have to. Uh, That's what I think when I go to the gym still. Yeah. I look at the PTs in there and I think, fuck, I'm glad I didn't do that, but maybe I could go back to it if I if all goes to shit. Yeah, if everything fell apart. Definitely go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, you know, it's like another thing, Tony, uh, speaking of Tony Doherty, shout out to Tony, like when he set up Australia's first um, 24-hour gym, 
Doldies. I mean, that's why we'll have him on the show because we want people who've just done the first. Yeah. <laughs> but but he was t- he's, he tells his story a bit where he – so he went and opened the gym um, on the first day that it was becoming like 24 hours, 365 days of the year. And that night he went home and out of habit he went to a, a lock up. He went, no, I don't lock up, Right. <laughs> And then he had this key and he goes, what do I, fuck, what do I do with this key? Well, we never need to lock the door again. So there was a paddock across the road or a, a vacant block. He, he just tossed the key into the block and That's went right. home. Because it's like it, he's, he's mm, one of his philosophies and my philosophy too is fuck plan B. Mm. Because if you give yourself a get out of jail card, you're not fully committed. Like I believe that to – if you want to excel at something, you need to fully fucking commit. If you change your mind, that's mm. different, right? And, of course, you need to be strategic and intelligent and it needs to be possible. But, you know, for you guys to not succeed at what you're doing here will only happen if you just decide not to do it mm. because every ingredient that you need, which is resources, tech, few dollars behind you and talent and all the uh, prerequisite skills you already have. Mm. So the only reason it won't work is if you just stop doing it because you've everything since you started to now is better. And it's 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 not that, but it's definitely a nice linear progression. Did you feel like you were trying to prove yourself right in regards to going back to uni as a older student? I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do something. And I know to other people, they'll be like, that's such an underwhelming mm. fucking, I get it. I get mm. it. For me, making a million dollars was far easier than going to uni. Yeah, mm. I'm a, I, I was relatively wealthy mm. before I went to university. Mm. I found making money much easier than being academic. And what did you get from the other side of the university experience? Did it deliver what you were hoping? I didn't know really what to expect, but I did learn some stuff. A lot of university, as you know, depending on what you do, is not particularly enlightening, but the academic process is interesting and having to – me going from being this guy in charge of all these people, being a leader, being um, a pioneer and being the captain of the ship to being one of 3,000 students or whatever I was who's a shit kicker walking around with a backpack on – just turning up to lectures um, was really good for me. It was really good for me and, um, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved it. How do you think we determine what those things that we have pushed back to in our lives, how do we determine whether we should do those things? Because school's one, right? I, I, that makes me feel sick thinking about having to go back to school. I know that it, it would better me to yeah. some degree, the, yeah. the, the commitment to it, seeing it through. Yeah. But then, how do you how do you work out what one? How did you do it for yourself? Looking at uni and going, "Fuck it, well, I feel I, shit." I, but I I'll do it. I, it's not something I absolutely needed to do, but it was something that it. So full transparency, it gave me more confidence in some domains. Mm. So if you go and do something with a team, or like I work with some Kilda Forty Club, I work with Nissan Motorsport, work with Melbourne Vixens, Melbourne Phoenix, work with a bunch of Olympic athletes. Being an exercise scientist helps. Uh, as well as having all the, the other skills and so on. It helps me introduce you to because I use that one as well. Well, exactly. I think it also, like it's a, it uh, it shows where, like I guess because if you think, you know, you're a, a 
strong looking dude you're a bit of a like you've got like meathead vibes and there's probably thank people you. thank you <laughs> there's probably people who would say uh they associate that and then they make assumptions on intelligence but then you've got the beauty of saying Caref- okay careful. you've got the meathead <laughs> and you've got the university so you mo- like, brains was, and brawn. was that part of the part of the thing where it's like people expect um, this from me a little bit a little bit that it that would i mean look um i'm inherently insecure mm. so uh, I think most people are inherently insecure, but they won't talk about it. But that w- that was part of it, that it would give me some confidence and it would give me, it would maybe open a few doors um, and it would give me a sense of, I guess, more worthiness. Like I always felt even even when I could do something well and I'd already proven myself and I already had a level of success, I still felt not good enough. Where does that come from? Like within the podcast stuff, mm. What's what's the uh, internal monologue for you at the moment? Well, all of that stuff always comes out of fear. So it's trying to figure out what the fear is. So insecurity, overthinking, procrastination, self-doubt, avoidance is a manifestation of fear. And so for me, it was always the fear that I'd be found out that you're actually shit. I'll be found out that, you know, you're you're not intelligent Mm -hmm. or you're a fraud or you're, you know, so, and I think that's an ongoing, you know, the human condition is overthinking. That's nearly everyone. Mm. Um, is insecurity, is self-doubt, is all of those things. And it's understanding that this is not weak or bad, this is human. And so um, even even before we started, I said to Mr 97, mm. I go, make sure you get me so I look fucking big. Yeah. And I was only half joking. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, the other half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, I was, I was, the funny thing is you say that and I think make sure I don't look fat. So it's funny. Everyone's got their in a dialogue, their, their own that. story. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, you know, and it's funny. Like I work with what we would call high performers, elite athletes, successful people, actors, personalities, blokes in prison, addicts, general population, blokes who cut their thumb off. <laughs> um, you know, and and everyone. Everyone at their core is the same. You know, we all, none of us want to be anxious. None of us want to be lonely. None of us want to be disconnected. We all want to focus and a purpose. We all want to be secure and safe. So, if the insecurities are part of the human condition, do we just have to accept that they're going to be there? Um, I guess, I guess there's a scale, isn't there? It's like if you live in where we live, which is very privileged. There's not a whole lot to be insecure about yeah. or there's not a whole lot, you know, which is not to say that we don't have problems, but when you think that, you know, in a in a population of 7.6 billion on the planet, 3 billion people live on $2.50 a day or less, well, shut the fuck up because mm-hmm. your life's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I, I always have that. I was listening to a really interesting podcast yesterday and they are talking about light and shade and good and bad and and being able to um, appreciate things. And sometimes it's like there's a, a famous saying and that is um, the happy person wants a thousand, the healthy person wants a thousand things, the sick person wants one thing. Yeah. Right? And so sadly sometimes it takes for us to be ill or to have a tragedy or whatever, some kind of um, – event to happen for us to get perspective about how fucking great our life is. When your back's feeling fucked, how does that change your perspective on things like going to the gym and stuff yeah. like that? 
Um, look, I, I see my back for what it is, which is huge, which is <laughs> <laughs> the lower back's not so functional. Not, yeah. But in the context of, you know, my mum who just de- dealt with cancer for two mm-hmm. years or my dad who had heart surgery two weeks ago or, you know, John that I work with that got blown up in a car accident, in a, a, an industrial, it's, it's, I, I still, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate that I have that awareness and perspective and gratitude and I go, yeah, my back's fucked, it's sore, but it's all, I don't have cancer, mm-hmm. you know. What, what do you think the antidote is for looking at your situation now and, and thinking I'm not where I want to be? And so that you, you're in this place of restlessness uh, or unhappiness, but yeah. you know it's a part of the journey. Yeah. Is, is it something you've experienced? I would ask another question first. I would say, is it really about the situation, circumstance, environment, mm. external reality? Is it really about that stuff? Mm. Or is my frustration more about my story? Mm. Right? Is it really about what's going on out here? Or is it really about what's going on in here? Like where is the frustration and anxiety and mm, lack of happiness or joy? Is it, is, it because about what, is it because of what's happening or not happening in my external, physical, three-dimensional world, business, marriage, bank balance? Or is it really about what's going on in me, the, mm. the, the inner dialogue? Because... Once again, if you get that person that's like, oh, my life's this and that and they're not that happy, mm-hmm. then they find out they've, on Monday, find out they've got cancer. Mm-hmm. They don't give a fuck about anything except their health. Mm-hmm. Well, and then it- Wednesday they find out they got wrongly diagnosed. You actually don't have it. You're healthy. For two days they're the happiest person on yeah. the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And then they come back to Saturday. They're like, oh, yeah, but. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not to say that our external reality doesn't matter. Of course it does. But. Again, this comes back to how do I manage my mind and my emotions and me in the middle of all this stuff? Mm. That's why I feel like the, my relationship with food is so annoying because in the grand scheme of things, it's like so stupid, right? The idea that the stuff that we eat, like if, if we like break it apart, it's like what am I, what, like what, what is the main fear? What is like if, because I think for a lot of people, mm. food, weight, all of that sort of stuff is their number one concern in life. Like I think that. And how sad is that? Mm. How sad is that that in the context of global problems, yeah. that their number one problem is fucking Tim Tams. Yeah. Or their, or their ass. Yeah. I'm not being rude, yeah, but, but it's and I, true, I was yeah. the same. Yeah. I mean, I I had food issues for, and it's it's I was pathetic. I'm mm. not even saying anyone else. Yeah. I'm just I was so fucking self-centered mm. and ridiculous and egotistical and insecure. You go, well, what are you doing? If you don't worry about it, though, so I wonder, like, if I was today take it off the table and say it's a non-issue, yes, without taking any other action outside of saying it's no longer an issue, am I putting my head in the sand or am I finally allowing myself to live? Well, that depends if you believe the story. If the story is it's no longer an issue and that's just words, then you'll continue on. But... When you when that when that thought becomes an emotion, when the emotion of belief or when the emotion, the appropriate emotion is attached to that, mm. and that becomes ingrained, then that has a physiological consequence. Then, you know, it's like when you believe that that dude over there is terrifying, then you're terrified, mm. even if he's not terrifying. It's not yeah. about him; it's about the thinking. But, but there's a lot of space between I'm obsessed with food and I'll just let it go. 
are there many people that have success in that idea of think about it less? Uh, no. There because, has to be habit. There's habits there. Yeah, there's hardwiring. But it's also, it's like when I go, you know, like if I say to a, a room full of people uh, or if I said to you, okay, Josh, for the next minute, we might have even said this on a mm. podcast before, don't think about the number seven. Did we say that before? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so whatever you do, don't think about the number seven. So fuck, well, don't think about why well, I'm thinking about it. So yeah. how you not think about the number seven is you shift your focus to that coffee cup and you go, oh, fuck, that's an amazing coffee cup. And I wonder if that's seven, recycled seven, paper seven, or, you know seven, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Seven, he's thinking about And seven. so we're shifting our focus, but you can't, you, you can't will yourself. There needs to be a behavioral change as well. So it's like, just saying, oh, I'm not going to be scared of that, that doesn't make you fearless. What, but, what, but, but by doing the thing that scares you and surviving, now instead of the fear being a 9 out of 10, it's a 7, doing it again and surviving again, it becomes a 5 and then maybe eventually it'll be 1 out of 10 response mm. or a 0. Yeah. What, what are the consistencies and the people you've dealt with over the years that have changed their story around food? Um. You know, the interesting thing about food is that, and, and with all behavioural change, there is no three-step plan that is universally effective. So Josh has a relationship with you. The two boys that are off camera have a relationship with food. So do you, so do I. And different things will work for different people. But I know for me what has worked, and I say this, for me what works is um, clearly defined boundaries. Because even though I'm intelligent and educated and knowledgeable around food and micro and macronutrients and physiology and all, that doesn't matter. Because when I eat shit, I'm just being a human who loves eating shit because it changes my biochemistry and makes me feel fucking amazing and that's why I'm doing it. There's no logic in it. So I know for me, you know, you wouldn't say to an alcoholic, just have one beer, mate. You know how alcoholism works. You know that one beer is not going to make you drunk and you know, you know, you've got a grip now, so just have a beer. And that seems melodramatic, but for some people, and I am one, me opening the door on certain foods is analogous to opening the alcohol door for an addict. Mm. So I know that it's not about eating the cake. It's about, for me, the subsequent impact, which is I'll then, or I can unravel and make dumb decisions and now I'm going to get eat all the cake. So is there, I guess the question is, is, the, is there more fulfilment in deciding that that's off limits and not doing it and using that discipline mm. or is the discipline of, you know, because the common advice is, just don't be silly about it. Just have a yeah. balanced diet. Like the, the thing that yeah. used to annoy me the most when I was, you know, in the middle of my weight issues yes. with the people who said, just have a balance. I think diet. that's trite and I think that's naive. Yeah. Because that's assuming that, see, people think that how they think and how they are, you should think and mm. you should be like yeah. that. I'm like, cool, do that. Mm. But that doesn't work for me. Yeah. Mm. So it's like what I just described, how I work, I'm not suggesting anyone else does that. Mm. That's not advice. But it's always hard coming. I always found the balance one a hard one to come up against because I feel the, the language implies that, 
oh, what, like you just need to be normal. Like you just like what you're doing isn't isn't, What's isn't normal. What's balance? Yeah. Well, I think people would say, uh, you know, you can you can have bread, you can have the piece of cake, you can go, you know, you can go out and eat that. You can have dessert on the the odd mm. occasion. Mm. Um, and yeah, and I remember that being a big because I think I would try and then seek. I'm like, okay, this balance thing. Mm. Mm. How do I? How do I do this? I mm. guess well, it's, like, not spe- it's not specific either, right? Yeah. And and look, most people can. And for, for most people, that's pretty good advice. Do you reckon the most, but I reckon it's probably, I don't know if it's shifting, but it feels like with what we have with our sedentary lifestyles probably leads to quicker decision making, like the Uber Eats culture of just ordering in food. Mm. Are we slowly seeing the shift away from what would be deemed a balanced lifestyle? You know, it's never been easier to make stupid choices than now because yeah. everything's so fucking accessible mm. and, and you can, you know, you can, you can do that dumb thing so quickly before you even really think. Mm. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I think that this kind of brings up this idea of uh, without trying to sound too deep spiritual, but living consciously and going. And and I think all of us should do this at some stage, which is what do I want my life to look like? Forget money and success and KPIs, but just my life as an experience. And then what kind of person do I want to be in the middle of that? And what works for me, not works. what works for you or what works for you, but what works for me. And by the way, this works for me, so you should do it. No, that's ridiculous. And this whole notion of there's only one way to work or you should be married by this, oh, like people say to me, it's so sad you're not married. I'm like, is it? I feel fucking great. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I know a fair few married people who hate their life. I'm not saying marriage is bad. I'm saying... <laughs> That, that kind of conclusion that you are not married, that is sad, or you, you don't eat cake, that's, oh, you're missing out, or you don't, it, it, doesn't, it just mm. doesn't work like that. And mm. it's trying to figure out what, what works for me ideally. And, you know, for me, like me getting up, I'm probably never more relaxed or calm or in my space than when I'm doing things like this where I'm having good conversations or I'm in front of an audience or I'm, but for a lot of people doing this would be very uncomfortable mm. or standing in front of 500 or 1,000 people would be extremely uncomfortable, which is why not everyone should do what I do. Not everyone mm. should do what you do. Mm. You know, it's just trying to figure out where's your space and where do you play best and where do you, where are you being you mm. best? Sam Harris's app, Wake, Waking Up, mm. meditation app, something I love that he said was – on the benefits of meditation. So it's all about being more conscious, uh, thinking about your thinking. Mm. But from meditation, and I think it applies to things like food, and I think it definitely for me doing it every single day has translated different areas of my life. But he says meditation sets up an alarm system for your consciousness. You could stop focusing on seven, I reckon, better than I could. based <laughs> maybe, on Maybe, the- but so... Meditation basically and that consciousness, that um, mindfulness practice sets up an alarm system for suffering. So when you start Mm. to suffer, this mental Mm. suffering, whether it be around anything, sets off that mindfulness practice, which I think it does. 
having that consistency and creating that habit mm. has definitely made like when I'm fucking getting into a negative spiral, mm. it's like, it's like, it's, you know, I've, I, I feel like doing it every day has created some kind of loop. Do you reckon that's feedback. a Because I was saying to Mr. 97, I reckon that like you you seem the happiest you've ever been, TJ. Mm. Like what, like there's from when we're on an easy street, it was yeah. like, it was hard, there's friction, but like there hasn't been a day in the past two mm. months where the team hasn't felt great. Mm. Mm. I think that's based on um, how you've shown up. Do you think that that is meditation? Mm. Is that yeah. where? Not drinking, not, so not drinking is huge meditation has definitely contributed. But like, for instance, yesterday I had a big shoot and there was a lot on my mind. I chose, I chose to get up at 5.30. I'm not trying to fucking say I'm a hero. But I was like, this is going to be a tough day for me mentally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to do some form of meditation in the morning because mm-hmm. it can only assist me f- mm-hmm. throughout this day. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped. But what, do you, what are you thinking before you have a blow up, before you get angry about something? No, what has changed? Uh, I mean, I still get angry and shit, but I think it's that alarm system mm. that you've created for that when you do, you can pull back slightly and just, and, he, and Sam Harris says he's just like, for, in those moments throughout the day, try and, you know, remove yourself. Mm. A deep breath can be the difference mm. in a moment where you're about to launch into some kind of emotional state. I think one of the things that you are doing better than you've ever done is you managing you. Mm, mm, mm. Whereas 100% of your focus and effort used to be in all the external stuff Mm. and that kind of dictated the quality of your experience. Mm. Whereas now, um, and I think this is part of maturity and um, kind of moving into living without being wanky more consciously and is trying to, yes, you've still got to manage your life and your responsibilities and your kids and your bills and, you know, all that stuff. But at, at the same time, working on you mm. so that you mentally, emotionally and practically and physically self-manage better. Which it sounds counterintuitive because yeah. you would assume that to get the best out of a team, you need to be listening to everyone else yeah, more. Yeah. And I think that that's proof that by focusing on yourself – and singularly focusing on how you're reacting no, to things. Working on yourself, yeah. not fo- it's and working on yourself so that when he turns up or mm. when you turn up, mm. you're fucking great to be around. Yeah. Like when the more that you are working on you, mm. the better mentor, coach, speaker, leader, boss, business partner, friend, husband, mm. the better you will be. Because wherever you are, you're good. Mm. That's that idea of equanimity, the calm in the chaos. And so it's the so when you're around the boys, you're you're investing in the boys, mm. you know. But yeah, it's it's the work that you do away from life. Mm. What's it, what's the the single practice that's been most consistent for you over the last ten years? Do you think? Um, uh, as contrary as this would sound to this hour. Uh, talking less and and yeah. paying for me, my mind is busy not not in an overthinking way, but just in a um, like some things I'm not like a lot of things I'm bad at, but I think my mind works at like one point five, and so sometimes when people are talking, I think you're the same. I, I want to finish. I know where they're mm-hmm. going, 
and I want to finish it. Same with Josh. I think yeah. we're the three of us. Mm. Have, have I, I have to go. Got, I got the point of what you're saying, Greg. Yeah, yeah. You can stop this. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> no, but but, the, I think but, we've gotten better. Yeah, but I think yeah, the podcasting yeah. has taught us to shut the fuck up more. Mm. I know that I like. Mm. I'm okay with yeah. the the silence. And I think yeah, you've done a massive piece of work, mm. Josh. From, yeah. From when we started this. Yeah, and it's being able to be in the moment and be all about the person mm. because I used to be coaching someone or sitting with someone and I could actually be in the conversation and also be figuring out that thing over there and maybe planning that. And I've got multiple things going on and I could get away with it, the conversation, but I wasn't my best self and I wasn't serving them. So I've managed to block out all this and be totally present and also – for me, and you've heard me say this before, but and maybe it's because I'm old <laughs> and my time is nigh, but, um, you know, for me to be consciously, like when I go, what are my values, I always come back to just being a good human, which is, mm. that's my, is to operate from a platform of love and whether that's kindness or service or generosity or time or emotional investment or practical help or, and I know that when I come from that place, then one, I'm, I'm better for me. I'm, I enjoy who I am more. The Craig experience is better for me and it's also better for others, but also life is way better, mm. you know, and that's a constant work because it's not a natural state because my natural state is being very human. And so it's kind of, you know, when you go, this is my home plate, this is love and this is the pendulum that is me, I'm swinging over it and back over it out to uh, now I'm a dickhead, now I'm back and I'm focused, now I want to yell at somebody, now I'm being selfish. Or, But the more that I kind of come back to that place where I'm genuinely investing in others and genuinely listening and I'm not saying things because I'm a good talker and I'm articulate yeah. and mm-hmm. I can make this, you know, but it's, re- it's real and it's authentic, mm-hmm. then the better things work for me. I reckon the last three years... I definitely since having Bodhi, I've become a lot more emotional, whether that's accepting my emotions rather than shutting them out. Yeah. But I definitely feel I've become more emotional. Is there anything for you? Like I struggled, like you've had some heavy podcasts in the last mm. week. Mm. There's one with a young girl who had a brain tumour. I struggled so hard because all yeah. I can do is go to the place of my son. Yes. Is there something for you over the last you know, 10 years or I guess vulnerability, vulnerability and being raw and real. And I used to, because as a, as someone who their job is to talk Mm. to audiences, you can get up and you can talk because you've got knowledge and you're a bit funny and you've got a sense of humor and you've got skill and you've got lots of experience. And so you can come from that very skill based cerebral place or you can get up there from a, a much deeper spiritual and emotional place and go, I'm just going to have an experience. I'm just going to go and like I did one couple of weekends ago in, which was a, a public, so not a corporate, but a public three hour thing in uh, Adelaide. And I just said, and I, and I don't go in with even a bit of paper anymore. I don't, I don't have, I don't have any notes, no video, no, um, PowerPoint presentation. You're not playing the video I made you? Uh, we might play that in the intro. <laughs> I might enough. need a new one. But um, <laughs> but where I literally will have a 300-on-one conversation mm. and I go, so why did you come? And I go, put up your hand if you came here because you want to change something and all the hands go up. And I go, cool, what do you want to change? 
And we just start there. I go, why haven't you changed it? And they might go, oh, I'm an overthinker. And I go, cool, who else is an overthinker? Every fucking hand. I go, all right, so I write that on the whiteboard. We're all overthinkers. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Fear. So what are you scared of? And then you just open this organic experience. But, but that's also you have to be vulnerable and it's a risk. And you have to be plugged into people because there is no – I don't have my twenty-step process. You've got to be secure. You've got to be secure in that the answers are in in there, yes. and they're not within slide seven. Of and a I can have a <laughs> an authentic conversation with three hundred people mm. and keep that going for three hours. Do you remember the first time that you did that when you sort of removed all of the bells and whistles? Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, it's still. You, there's still a. Obviously, there's still a a practical and a cognitive element to that because you still, you know, you still want to create connection. You still want it to be a good experience and you still want people to have takeaway information and strategies. Do some corporates push, do they still expect, oh, like if you're going to charge, you know, 10 grand to come and talk, then mm. you need to have at least mm. seven, seven slides. slides. Mm. I keep mentioning seven. Seven, yeah. seven yeah, That yeah, was the first right. time you've been programmed. Yeah. Um, Look, it, I'll, I'll be slightly more strategic with a corporate mm -hmm. because they don't know me. Yeah. Like I did one not last week, the week before for the AFL at AFL House. Mm. So they're all pretty smart. Yeah. So all the high-level kind of players in that, you know, media and multimedia and marketing and business and and, and you can't go in there and tell three dick jokes and say, thanks very much, I'm Craig Harper and wander out. You have to do seven dick yeah, jokes. Yeah, seven dick jokes. So, but – it's, it's also – so there's an element of strategy uh, uh, and preparedness but also an element of being in the moment because mm. this is what I think. If if you are going to have a – if you're going to connect with a group of people and, of course, you've got a plan but you can only plan so much because you don't know who you're talking to. Mm. So how do you know what they need? And so I make it interactive so I can see where they are and sometimes – like I did one recently and we were about halfway through. This was a corporate group and they were leaning much more towards the health, wellness, physical, you know, and I was, I was where I was had intended to go was more mindset, behavioural psychology and they were really interested in the, what's, what's biological age and how do I, I can, what's wrong with sugar anyway and but all this. And I went, okay, we're at the halfway point mm. and so – and they were into it. They were enjoying it. I said, so we can go down the more the head stuff, the emotional and psychological beliefs and, you know, fear, and or we can do more about the physical, so how to get in shape, stay in shape, and I'll put on my exercise science hat and I'll be more Craig the trainer rather than Craig the mentor or coach. What do you want? And they all, 80% of them said, can we do the body stuff? I went, no worries. So I put that on hold and I went and we just went down that route and we spoke about food and micros and macros and we spoke about progressive overload and how bodies adapt and all this cool stuff. But it was quite sciencey mm. and they you know, but they that's where we were and that's what they wanted. And I had a line of people after going, That was ace. Because you were listening. Yeah. So I was in tune, yeah. you know. So and that that is the thing. It like communication, great communication is based on having an understanding of your audience and, you know, so being articulate or having a great vocabulary or being vocabulary or stringing a thousand words together effortlessly, that's not great communication. That's mm. just talking. Mm. Sometimes great communication is three words a minute. 
what what are some of the signals that you give off? Like how much are the things that we wear and the things that we say, like how much are you thinking about that stuff when you go into, especially in that presenting space? Mm. What, what do you mean thinking about? Well, just like uh, what you wear, you know, for instance. Like oh, what for instance, I wear, well, yeah, how what, I present? Yeah, how you present, what you actually, but not not necessarily the talk. Yeah, but yeah, in yeah, like, yeah. Are you the kind of guy to be hidden behind stage before you go out or do you oh, mingle okay, around? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, if I'm doing public stuff where, you know, like in Melbourne we have hundreds and hundreds, you know, like up to seven or 800 come to an event, and uh, purely just to save my emotional energy, I don't want to really talk to anyone before the event mm-hmm. just because I don't want to start having, mm. uh, you know, I, I don't want to start answering questions. Mm. And so if I'm presenting it from, say, 9 till 12, I'll literally hide somewhere until two minutes to nine come out, do my thing. And then if at the end of it, if people want to talk to me, I'll stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's also there's the, for me being, you know, trying to be in the moment as well and trying to manage my energy so that I can be 110% for the three hours and not go through. Because one of the dangers is even when you do a lot of podcasts is that you go through the motions. Mm. It's like you want to do each podcast as though you're excited and it's new. And so for me, literally every gig I do. Trampoline. Every- it's a trampoline, isn't it, before the show? Jump oh, in. yeah, I've got the, the ice death. bath and the mini tramp <laughs> and the mantras. Have you, like, what, were there certain things that you actually didn't realise that they would affect something like a presentation but did, for instance, and people talk about what they wear, like you're a pretty casual dude. Did you ever go through a stage of rocking up in a, in a blazer? Uh, a blazer glory. Um, no, I mean, I hate suits, but that's just me. Like I'm, I'm lazy. Like if I could wear. About certain things. Yeah. I, for my public gigs, I wear this. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Is that signaling something like, cause I it's guess. no signaling. I'm just yeah. comfy. Yeah. There's a really good book, which you've probably heard me talk about called Drunk Tank Pink. And it's written by a guy called Adam Alter. And he talks about the way that your env- everything in your environment impacts your nervous system and your emotional system. And so, for example, like this environment Mm -hmm. is a really nice environment to do this. Well, that's what I was saying. I used to complain about our old office. Uh, Do you remember how much work did I get done in that old office? Don't start. You complain about cleaning. But the funny thing is, is that this space, (laughs) there's an energy about this space. I get more work done. There's where... You 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 want to sit and do this like yeah. you could have mm. all the same setup and resources in a fucking kitchen mm-hmm. and you're like ah this is the wrong room yeah right and w- why like you've got every, it's it's just that and so there's something about that even down to there are certain clothes that you'll be more creative in yeah you're there are talking certain, to me right now there are like certain clothes <laughs> where you're more productive I need the exact right temperature yeah I need like to Tommy knows my office you've been to my yeah, joint yeah. so. I love my studio. Mm. I'm quite creative in my studio because it's nice. My office upstairs, I live on a main street and all I used to do was look at cars and concrete. So I planted a million bamboo trees. Now all I can see from my house is garden and green. Yeah. But I work better when I'm in the middle of nature. Okay. So then if it's – because I think I've heard you say it's not a geographical issue, it's a you issue, Mm. which – 
referring to, you know, oh, I need to move to LA to do yes. this thing or I need yes. to move to Sydney. At what point, because I get it, I get what you're saying, but there's also... Because that's a story. The like other, you, side, yeah. other side of that coin of... Yes. At what point is it not that you don't have air con? If you could, if you could work, <laughs> if you could be effective with cars and concrete and a messy environment or whatever. Yes. There's, there's something in that. So well, when do you listen to the story and when do you question and, uh, and say call bullshit on your story? Yeah. Uh, in, in which bit though? Oh, I think for for Josh when we're in the old office. Oh, right. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's, it's easy, easy to yeah, yeah, yeah. not I, do I shit. I think that you can, of course you can work in and part of success is being adaptable and mm-hmm. being able to be fluid and in the moment. But also that doesn't discount the fact that there are some environments that are just more conducive mm-hmm. to happiness and creativity and and so that's why, like, when I came in, I went, this is fucking great. Yeah. And you can, I think it's creating a, a spot that works, that works for you as well. I think it's in like um, Austin, Austin Cleon talks, talks about it a lot, but having the, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it just needs to be somewhere that you know that this is the area where you're going to show up and mm-hmm. do the thing that, that you want to do. Let's say that you guys worked, you had all the same resources, but you worked in a, a building next door and you didn't have what you have here. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the, the upstairs, yeah. which, you know, so you had the same space but it was all on one level and you, you didn't – if everything else was the same except the physical environment, you guys would not get on as well. Yeah. You, you would not be as happy. You would not be as fulfilled because working in a really nice space uh, does have – an impact on your psychology. It does have an impact on your nervous system. It does have an impact on your performance and how you feel. Do you think that's the underrated bit? Because I guess there's people talk about, oh, like I'm not happy in my marriage or whatever, but they've got financial issues. They're not doing, mm-hmm. you know, in the, the the right space they want to be in. I mean, how do you how do you work out within life? Yeah. What are the actual contributing factors that I need to deal with right now? Well, I think you've got to prioritise. And mm. so obviously if you if you start in a kitchen, that doesn't, you know, all that. But, but what I'm saying is you've just got to the point where you don't need to. But, you know, in terms of all the variables in your life, th- those external things will always play a role and always be an influence. So it's all well and good to say all this stuff, but if you can't pay the bills or feed your kids, mm. then, yeah. you know, so there's, of course, there's a practical element to happiness and success and, contentment and calmness but I think in the middle of all of that is so you control your controllables so -hmm. what I can control is for the most part how I think and what I do and what choices I make what are your non-negotiables if you were to go from one start of the day not habits but things that uh is not changing from for you day to day what are the non-negotiables so my non-negotiables are really boring like training like eating a certain way like treating people well um, What's the weirdest non-negotiable that you have? Weighing my breakfast. Uh-huh. So I weigh my breakfast every That's day. That's not that so weird. It could have been. It's pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that your non-negotiable at a top level can be the trigger for creating out better habits in other areas What's the of your life. Stone habits, well, right? I also get offered to do things which don't align with my values, which would pay me. Could you endorse this? Nah. But we'll give you that. Nah, I can't because I don't believe in that. Talking, but it's lucrative. Talking about the endorsement stuff, I saw uh, online yesterday there was someone posting, what was it called, TJ? Do you know what the technology was? On my phone. It's under my bum. Is um, it? Yeah, got it. So I'll tell you. 
there's I feel oh, like Mason, it, can you pull it up? It's in our Slack, the Daily yeah, Talk yeah. Show. I, f- I feel like there's been because TJ and I wanted to run it by you. There feels like there's always <laughs> technologies that's promoting fat blasting but giving you muscles at the same time and all you have to do is do a 45 minute session where mm. something punches you mm. in the stomach <laughs> and then before you know it you and have his abs. name's Kevin <laughs> yeah um yeah, we found one yesterday that it's, we saw someone endorsing, which I thought was pretty fucking horrible that a person with such a following would endorse something like this. What was M Sculpt? And M Sculpt. M S Q. What's the uh, what is it? What's the product? Um, Go to their website, ninety seven. Give yeah, it a I'm Google. So what it is? Remember how back in the day there was the Abtronic. That would be an electric current. Mm. So it's not like a Thames system that pregnant women, when you're giving birth, have on their lower back mm-hmm. to release mm-hmm. some pressure, release some muscle contraction. It's another form of technology that Tesla use. So it's magnetic, some bullshit. This is what I read. Here you go. Uh, high intensity focused electromagnetic field technology <laughs> that induces super maximal muscle contract. So for, for me, the bullshit, ra- bullshit radar goes off based on the language mm. that mm. they're using. And I think that's, I think that it says something like 20,000 put, it's the equivalent of 20,000 sit-ups and shit mm. like that. Mm. I mean, you're Sounds in, good. <laughs> I mean, you're, you've been across this industry. Mm. You're, a, you're an expert. And things are changing though because this is disgusting, right? They offer like um, no interest finance mm. to have this shit done. So this mm. is a trap mm. for young, insecure yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. And Adults what, are insecure And what people. makes me sad is that people, you know, <laughs> it's like we want people to walk up the hill. We don't want them to take the escalator, Mm-mm. you know, because it's in the walking up the hill that you become strong, that you build resilience, that you become mentally and emotionally tougher that you develop skill, that you develop understanding. Uh, well, one, th- that is, I haven't looked at it, but it, it's almost definitely bullshit. But, and, and you know, the thing is that when they, what, what we need with claims is we need real science by independent researchers. And so what, isn't it interesting that it's always the equivalent of 20,000? Yeah. It's not 19,900. Yeah. If it was science, it wouldn't actually be 20,000. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be such a fucking precise yeah. number because science is never precise, yeah, yeah. right? Um, but it, I think the bigger kind of issue is really that, like we all know that how do you get strong? Well, you work against resistance both metaphorically and literally. How do you become mentally and emotionally stronger? By working against shit. Uh, how do you build muscle? By going into the gym. How do you build strength? By going mm. to the gym and working against resistance. And, and the, even if that worked, the problem is that's analogous to somebody who gets given a million dollars who doesn't know how to make a million dollars. Because yeah. they'll blow the million dollars, then they're poor again, and they can't get another million because they have no skill or wisdom or insight into making money. Mm. Well, it's not giving you any discipline or any of the things that... Because I guess that the thing with exercise and all of these, a lot of the things, even food, it's not even the food itself. Mm. It's the practice of being mindful, I guess. Mm. And so when you take that element out of it, it's like you don't have to think about it. You sit there and you do the thing. Mm. That's the sh- the shortcut. It's the bit that's actually the important bit. It's, mm. not, bit it's not earned. It, it's essentially the same as if we were given this studio a year mm. and a half ago. Yeah. Like all the, all the points, all the whinging about no air con and yeah. shitty setups and mm-hmm. – it's all contributed to us feel uh, to earning this. Yeah. 
Mm. And then so the 10 years away from now, we will have gone through struggles. Mm. The good thing is now I don't feel like there's many of those things. We're enjoying the process now. Mm. But I'm sure we will work out what the pain point is and Mm. what we need to fix very very soon. How old are you? 28. And you? I'm 30. So if in it, let's just say let's just fast forward. So now you're forty and you're thirty-eight, right? And you've got another ten years of experience and wisdom and insight and doing and learning and growing and evolving. Now let's say in some weird for whatever reason you lost mm. everything, mm. and now you're forty and you're thirty-eight, and you've got from a business sense nothing. You've got to start again. Mm. You would get back to it. What took you twenty years? You'd get back there in two, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because you now know what to do and what not to do. You've now got the hard wiring, the experience, the insight, the resilience, the understanding, the connect. You've now got all of this stuff which lives in you that will make the difference, right? But you can't get that without the 20 years mm. or the 10 years or the, whatever it takes, the 15 years. Like I know that I could, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day, pursuant to your, I know I could go and work in a gym. Yeah, yeah. I know I could pretty much go to any country in the world and if I had to work on a gym floor and make a grand a week in two weeks do you know what I mean if I because I know how to do that like I've got a def, I've got a fallback I've got a default setting I know and it's a different not, to a plan b though isn't I it? I know how to make money mm. I know how to connect with people I know how to create relationships I know how to change bodies I know so you know I could make a couple of grand a week quite quickly just because not because I'm brilliant but because I have that experience yeah I think that's like um uh, Tim Ferriss talks about uh, identifying what the worst, you know, what the worst thing that could happen be like an, an exercise in saying, okay, what does it actually look like? Mm-hmm. And because for a lot of people, it isn't being homeless. You know, for, for a lot of us, it's like going back to mum and dad's place mm-hmm. or, you know, and I think that then that starts to reveal the privilege that we have, mm-hmm. which is sometimes the kick up the ass to be like, actually, we need to be doing the thing that we want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I heard him, Miss 97, can you look up, there's a book, I think it's called Range. Can you f- find who wrote that? I think it's called Range. So you know how that that whole, speaking of Tim Ferriss, mm-hmm. you know that that um, they talk about a lot of uh, educational and high-performance coaches, they talk about the 10,000 hours of mm-hmm. repetition. Yeah. There's a guy who wrote a book that's out, it's new, I've heard him speak a couple of times, really, really fucking fascinating around this Um so he talks about the value. Have you found it? Is yeah, David Epstein. That's him. One. And it, he talks about the value of being a generalist. So let's say, for example, um, you've got a, a kid who uh, plays basketball from five and it's kind of casual. They're not bad. They're pretty good at it. And they, play, they play basketball from five to ten. And by the time they're ten, they go, this is what I want to do. I want to be a WNBA or an NBA player. And so then that that starts where they start now to train properly and so on. So it might take from that point 10,000 hours Mm. to become what you would call elite or world-class or, but the people who come from a background of doing tennis, soccer, football, Mm. running, blah, 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 because they, they've developed all of these other relevant and relative skills proprioception, balance, speed, um, in, in a range of situations and forums, it takes them about a third, depends, but about a third of the, so maybe 3,000 hours. So it's just something to be said. So you might go, um, 
like you've never worked in radio, right? I did a digital content, but not on air. Yeah. No. So, but because you've done so much stuff, which is in the space, mm. you've already got so many skills that to plonk you in a, not that you'd want to be, but let's say an FM station and you're yeah. now doing morning breakfast, mm. it would take somebody with no radio experience f- with similar potential, mm. let's say 5X, it might take you 1X mm. because you've already done so much similar stuff. Mm. Um it's a really interesting I, thing. I think it served me to be a generalist over a speci- over a specifist. What's the uh, the a specialist. A spe- specialist? So video, right? Mm. Uh, you know, I learned how to film. I learned how to edit. I learned how to produce. I learned how to present across those across all of them. Now I don't think you can make it as just a video guy. Well, I girl, think part whatever. of it. I think part of it too is that we um, the the thing with generalists is you are detached to the role, and so I think that when you are a specialist, sometimes you can be naive or actually blocking out certain experiences based on an editor or someone who works in post production doesn't deal with X, Y, and Z. Where when you're a generalist, you are I think like a generalist, another way of saying it is just like a lifelong learner. Mm. And I think like being a student of everything and being Mm. like, oh, me understanding this. And that's why I love about um, one of my favorite departments in uh, film production is the the grip department that's looking after everything from uh, cranes for for cameras to, to mounting lights and doing all that sort of stuff because it feels like it's combining these different things. They understand... Uh, frame rates and ISO and aperture and everything within a camera, but they also know how to fucking tie a knot. Mm. I think that that's super interesting. Uh, Well, you think about like your background and my background. So I started having deep and meaningful conversations with humans for money when I was 18 Mm -hmm. because I was a gym instructor. I'm talking to people about their bum and their legs and their emotions and their beliefs and their job and their energy levels and their sore back and their goals and their plan and their timetable. And so you're having these meaningful conversations. And then even though you're 18, you're helping them create a structure and a process Mm. and, and then 19 and then 20, and then eventually doing that as a boss and as a personal trainer and as an educator and, and then by the time you step on stage where, well, you're doing the same thing, you're just talking. And so by the time I, I did my first paid speaking gig at 26, I'd been having a version of that conversation for eight years, mm-hmm. multiple times a day. It just was with our person rather than 50, mm-hmm. you know, and so that translates. It's like I, I love comedy, right? Yeah. And maybe in another life that would be something I would do and I'm never going to do it, but. That would be fun. I would, I would go and watch. I mean, you just have to go to one of his session <laughs> yeah, talks. Exactly. It's they're basically fucking well, stand-up shows. Well, look at so like the- Brene, uh, Brene Brown or yeah. anything like. There is a huge. If you yeah. look at how Netflix specials are getting done in that arena, mm. it's literally like uh, comedy specials. Like that's the well, format. People say to Craig after his show, after his talks, they mm-hmm. say great show. Yeah, people which, call it a show, yeah. Which, which I've said we should do a dinner and a show. <laughs> and that, that, so the thing for me to go and do stand-up, not that I'm going to, but it wouldn't be a big stretch because I tell stories, I try and create, well, we do create connection, I use humour and I use humour and stories to create an emotional relationship that mm. you can't create with just data. 
Here's me giving you a whole lot of information. It doesn't work. But my point is to come from the background I've come from, it would be a relatively, I wouldn't say painless, but it'd be a much easier transition to do stand-up versus I've just spent the last 35 years being a plumber. Mm. Shout out to the but plumbers. He, but he was the funniest on site. Three <laughs> D <laughs> uh, Dill was devouring your book the other day. I know yeah. that he's fa- a fan, yeah. and so I thought a good opportunity. You can ask Harps a question as a young as a young person who is novelist to novelist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, are you a writer? Three D Dill. I am now. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's just written cool. a book. Really? Uh, What's it called? I'm still figuring it out. No, that's, that's the, the that's title. The name that's of it. the title. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. You should see this. Fuck it. It's the huge. Is it really called that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's we'll, awesome. You, uh, you should just show him everything after, yeah. after we finish. Yeah, we'll run it um, through. Uh, have you got a question for Harps? Yeah, I mean, how do you, when, when you have something in your head that you know you want to do mm. and it feels right to you, mm. how do you then take that and like going through the process of getting there, mm. like taking Tommy and Josh for an example, mm. they wanted to do this podcast, mm. but there's all this resistance around it. Like there's a monetary cost involved. There's the motivation involved, um, Mm. logistics. Mm. How do you try and like push that out of the way? Mm. Just focus on what you want to do and basically like not letting, not letting anything get in the way of what you want Mm. without, without being a dick about it. That's a good question. Um, so I always say start with the end in mind. So what is it that, like if I would say to the boys, if everything goes fucking amazing for the next two years with a podcast, what's happening? Mm. Like if everything goes with your book, if I said, what's the plan? Like what would you love the ultimate, what's the ultimate outcome for you with that book? You might go, it's in bookstores, it's selling all over the world and I've sold a million copies and you go, and I'd go, great, well, that's the, that's the ultimate for you, perhaps, perhaps not, but right. Then I'd say then reverse engineer it. So what needs to happen now for that? to become a likely reality. So everything comes at a cost, as you intimated, and there's resistance. Mm -hmm. So the cost of creating this podcast is time, effort, money, skill, discipline, sacrifice, um, whatever, all of the things that go into this. The truth is a lot of people want the destination without the journey. A lot of people want the bestseller, but they don't want to do the work. A lot of people want the abs, but they don't want to sacrifice the diet. A lot of people, so everything, whether or not it's a pair of shoes or a PhD, whether or not it's a great marriage or it's a a highly rating podcast, there's a cost. It might be time, it might be money, it might be emotional, but it's whether or not you are just ready to do that thing. And then you almost... Uh, need to be obsessive, not obsessive because that's unhealthy, but you need to be as committed and invested in that thing as you can be while remaining sane. So, you know, and that's that really comes down to, I would say, what do you want to do, be, create, whether it's with your book or something else? What is success for you? That's my first question. Then my next question would be, all right, well, around that, what needs to be completely fucking non-negotiable for you? So not so you do it when you're pumped or excited or motivated or you've got the wind behind your back or people are fucking cheering you on or you're amazing. None of that. What matters is what you do when no one's looking. What matters is what you do when you can't be fucked. What matters is what you do when most people would throw in the towel. So your ability to work through inconvenience and discomfort and adversity and unfamiliarity and to embrace that shit 
is what makes the difference because what's not in your control are your genetics, hours in a day, potential, all that stuff is set. So what matters is what you do with it. Fuck, that Amazing. was good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the, if you were to, um, if you worked out what the destination was mm. and you identified. You can use that in your promo. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, great. It's yeah, a good yeah, little yeah. snippet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it will have to be IGTV. Has, has to. <laughs> yeah. Has to. Um, Blew out 60 seconds. That's only sure. $10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, what about if you, if you love the des- uh, destination, you've got it pretty clear in your mind. Uh, I want to be in books. I want to be doing all this sort of stuff. Mm. But the process, mm. the bit of actually writing the book, um, not so excited about. Hmm. Do you think that, have you seen anyone that has been successful in a realm that hasn't enjoyed the process? Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of, like for me about to start a PhD, I know that a lot of that won't be fun. Hmm. I know that I won't enjoy some of that just because it's laborious and it's repetitive, but that's okay. So, are you going to be Dr. Harps? Are you going to call me Dr. Harps? Okay. Can I call you Dr. Harps? You, you sure can't. <laughs> you can call me whatever you want. No, but is that what the is that what a PhD does? Yeah, yeah. You'd be. I'd be. Uh, you know. Let's just say the chances of me actually getting there are slim. <laughs> How long does it take? <laughs> Twenty six years. Uh, <laughs> if I go great, three years. Okay. okay. Great. We'll prepare the SEO. Uh, for yes. A so you would. I would be a doctor of neuroscience. Really? Yeah. Sam Harris. He's a neuroscientist. He's he's got a degree in philosophy and he's got a PhD in neuroscience. Right. Yeah. Doctor Hart. Fuck yeah. Whatevs. <laughs> and so the that process bit. Yes. You can hate it. Uh, you can you can still do it. Uh, is there a identify like is there any way of identifying and saying okay this is um because I the thing that I can't uh, fathom is when people say I'm doing a podcast I fucking hate it mm. and I just think. How much we we yeah. love it and how much energy it gives us. I think overall, there's there's the there's there's stuff about any journey that you don't love, mm. but it's like sometimes the things that you need to do are not the things you want to do. Why do you think you need to do the PhD? I don't need to do it. Hundred percent uh-huh. don't need to do it. I mm-hmm. want to do it. Yeah. Um, and it it will you know for me it's I like. Every day of my life, I would study for an hour to two hours. And so I'm constantly studying. I'm reading. I'm listening. I'm downloading stuff. I'm, I was listening to Sam Harris and uh, Tom Bellew on Impact Theory on the way here. Um, you know, I'm because m- for me, I love learning. I love evolving and I love growing. And I feel like I can't help others grow if I'm stagnant. So I feel, one, I'm passionate anyway. I'm mm. excited. Um, but, but I also, you know, the academic process is, is sometimes just fucking boring. Mm. That's all right. I guess it's the ultimate deep work. I think that's what I find interesting about academia is the idea of shutting the door and being focused and doing the thing that you have to do. And you killed year 10 anyway. So (laughs) you were great at that. Questionable. Did you go to uni? No, I didn't go to uni. You don't uh, need to. we're We're the cowboy. Yeah. Collection, the cowboy collection. That was nearly. Uh, no, what, what did I used to say? The cowboy, um, creative cowboy creative. Anyway. You no, know, whatever it was, I remember seeing. They're actually it's a business in no, Docklands. <laughs> I think the people who didn't go to uni who are hugely successful is a pretty big group. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, I so think you're that, in good company. I think that it's. Um, but I've definitely had moments where I'm like, I want to study journalism. 
as a way of being like, and and I thought that that's what I needed to I would do. Only do that if you just want. You definitely don't need to do it. Yeah. And I didn't need to do what I did, mm. and I don't need to go and do a PA. I want to though. Yeah. But it's it's not not a career thing. Yeah. I think that the education system is interesting. I think that the one thing that maybe is um, uh, discredited at the moment, or people aren't considering, is like freelance lifestyles, great and all that sort of thing. But I think that spending time at that gym as an employee, mm. you learn some invaluable things mm. that when you become your own boss, having those experiences of working underneath someone is super beneficial. And I know there's going to be a bunch of people who future of work, mm. they're going to go out, turn 18, have their ABN number and go mm. and not have that experience. Yeah, uh, that's completely true. And even when you're working in, like you worked in some gyms that, oh, I don't know, but I'm assuming they weren't all fabulous and all mm. the staff and trainers weren't fabulous. I worked in good gyms and not so good gyms when I was younger. But, you know, even if you're in an environment where there's some shit that's going on that you don't like or approve of, or it's not professional or it's not ethical or it's not, you can still learn from all of that because mm. it gives you an awareness around what you don't want to be and mm. how you don't want to operate, you know? And so, but I think one of the challenges now is because because we've got so much availability and accessibility to everything and you can get qualified, for example, to become a trainer in eight minutes uh, and then we've got 12-year-olds coming out going, I'm going to help you change your life. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's almost that. Yeah. It's like I feel like going, no, what you've done is you've sat an exam and passed a test and that's really good and well done but go and get some experience and go oh. and get some context and go not, and have a thousand conversations with people. Was it always that like in the eighties and nineties, was it just as easy becoming a PT? Yeah, it was actually a little harder. Um, and look, it's not, that's no slight on any individual. That's the system. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the process, you know, but it, it, I, if, you know, when I'm boss of the world, that will change. Mm. Do you think it's, it, why is it, is it because of, Government incentives. Well, it's not. It's not a government regulated industry. Uh -huh. You don't even need legally. Uh, you don't even need to be. It's not illegal to call yourself a personal trainer. You just won't get insurance. Sure. Um, but and I'm not suggesting anyone does that. And and again, and at the other end of the scale, there are PhDs who are terrible trainers, and mm -hmm. there are cert three and four trainers who are fucking amazing. But it, it's about you know. There's an element of of uh, um, I guess, skill and experience and knowledge, of course, that comes with the training. Then on top of that, like why he was a good trainer, it's got nothing to do with his fucking course mm. and everything to do with who he is and how he is and he's likeable and he's he's got good self-awareness and he can communicate and he gave a shit. Mm. That's why he was a good trainer, not because he did that course at that place. And so if, if you're coming off the back of doing a six-week course, someone's listening to this podcast yeah. now and they've just done that how can they remove the stigma from from themselves or how can they feel good in themselves as a personal trainer how could they reframe it do you think yeah yeah i, I, can, I, think, talk, I can talk to my experience because mm. i i was i mean nothing in comparison to you going back and becoming an exercise scientist but me coming out of school as a kid that fucking misbehaved and didn't want to do school and thought i was shit around learning and all of that stuff me doing that eight-week course mm was huge in terms of my confidence. I passed it. Mm. And then I called this bloke and I said, mate, do you reckon I could come and do some work experience at your gym? Because I knew that it's like, I've got, who am I? I've got, no, I've got this thing that I felt good about passing, 
But then I wanted to get some real experience and then I called him. He said, fucking no chance. You can't work at my gym, but you can do with some experience. Yeah. I asked for a job first. That was the thing. But I then that got- That was amusing. And then I got it. I mean, it was probably one of the thousand phone calls he got. You probably can't remember it. But then I got a job in a gym on the gym floor and knew I had to earn my stripes. And so if you actually have that mentality of going, I've got this thing, which is the tick of the box that you need. It's great. It's the key to the door. Yeah. That's it. And then start working. And it's well, it you know, well done on doing that. And to everyone who does their cert three and four, well done. It's a really good achievement. But understand the totality of what it is. Even people who, and you know this, even someone who's got a PhD in exercise science, someone who's a doctor, mm. anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, energy systems, movement, physiological adaptation, progressive overload, all of that sciencey shit. Were you rapping then? I was. <laughs> Freestyle. But if if they can't communicate and connect mm. and coach and be in the moment and be likable and relatable, all that PhD doesn't matter. Mm. All that knowledge doesn't, it's not effective. And so I would rather, for example, if I went, here's my 80-year-old 80, 80 mum, I've got a PhD over here who's socially inept and I've got Tommy over here, I'm picking you because mm. my mum will enjoy the experience with you. Yeah. She will. Yeah. She'll go... It's not rocket science. Mary, mm -hmm. jump on the bike. How'd you go on the weekend? What'd you do? How's Ron? How's yeah, your hip? Yeah. What'd you eat for brekkie? What's going on? Did you see the royal wedding? Fucking mm. whatever. It's the only reason I had a business. Yeah. Like, is it I mean, you talked about times where you actually didn't train. <laughs> oh, the, it's crazy. You would have done this. Maybe, maybe, in Brighton maybe, saying, maybe you're a hard bastard, but I had some, um, some mothers from Albert Park that when you I went had an inappropriate no, relationship. No, no, nothing like that. <laughs> I went, they, they came and they said, Tommy, oh, I had a big night last night. I don't want to train. Can we go for coffee? And so we'd go for coffee. They'd pay me their 80 bucks. <laughs> they wouldn't actually train. And I'd get paid to have coffee. I was a gigolo <laughs> without the other bit. I never did that, Tom. <laughs> you never did. I guess you had, yeah, yeah. Stand, it was standard. Just Greg just Harper. <laughs> Mate, thanks for coming on. Uh, people can go to our new website, thedailytalkshow.com. Yeah. Actually click guests. You'll see Craig Harper up the top because you've been on some of the, like, the most amount of episodes. Repeat offender. The, absolutely. Mm. It actually does say repeat offender. <laughs> no, no, no joke because so Blage, our web gronk, set up labels. So depending on how many times he wrote <laughs> It said repeat offender next to Harp's name. So no joke. Funny. And I said, can we just cancel the labels before I, till I go through them all? But that's, that's uh, literally what it's called. I love it. That's funny. But um, uh, craigharper.net, you've got uh, all your uh, stuff stuff and schedule of when you're um, mm. doing stuff around, Tickets, around bye, Australia. Bye, bye. Sure have. Uh, and the U Project, obviously, on the uh, Apple podcast. And you can actually click through. It's like in our, like people who listen to the Daily Talk Show. Oh, yeah. Also listen to yeah, so. a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of people have migrated over from your podcast. Not not migrate. Not no, not migrate. Wrong 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 word. Wrong word. <laughs> Fuck. Don't blame me. I don't have a I don't have a PhD. Or vocabulary. <laughs> thanks, boys. Uh, thanks, Craig. It's thanks, a daily buddy. talk show. If you've listened uh, this far, please do a screen grab, do an Instagram story. Yeah. Uh, even uh, tag up whiteboard lessons on Instagram so that Craig knows that you're listening. Uh, otherwise, we will see you uh, tomorrow where it's just uh, TJ and I. See, See you then. Bye. See you guys.